Oh, they can hear me. That was my imitation of a record going bad, everyone, while we wait for Carrie to get it together. It's kind of hard because, and I don't want to, you know, spread any rumors, but Carrie's drunk. So we're having a little bit of trouble. Are we on now? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not in today. Today is Wednesday, October 11. Yes. Yes. The year of our Lord, 2023. And I want to start off the show with a massive shout out to Macy from Lumen Christi. Do you remember that little angel? I shouldn't say little angel. These are high school girls now. They're adultish. Anyway, she took amazing pictures of us at Lumen Christi. Um, and thank you, Macy. I don't know if you've ever considered a El Futuro in photography, but uh, you should. I read a poll today that said, and I'm not kidding. Okay, they said, who is rated as having the best, most attractive accent? Do you, do you want to take any stabs at this? Oh, uh, Italian. No, I, and I'm with you. Australia. Say, oh, that is the worst accent in the world. I love my friends and family in Australia, but please don't like talk around me or anything. <laughs> Who would call that the best accent? I think they've got it mistaken. No, no. In fact, that was hilarious. Like the first three comments were from Australians saying, "Are you nuts?" <laughs> I think they think that TV commercial is is a real Australian accent or something. Anyway, um, we've got a great show today, I think. Uh, it's intense. And uh, tomorrow, I'm really geeked out. We're going to be interviewing uh, a guy named Greg who grew up on the Los Alamos base, uh, and his parents were a part of the Manhattan Project where they built the first atomic bomb. So that's tomorrow. Make sure you tune in live at noon or at any other time later on your favorite podcast provider or uh, what do you call that other thing? YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, we did pick up a new foreign correspondent. Foreign correspondent. I believe her name is Margaret and she's from New Zealand. Do you guys want to hear my New Zealand accent? <laughs> do you want to hear it? I, I don't know how to do it. Uh, so beyond having Patricia in Scotland... Uh, and Bren Van in Canada, pardon, uh, and Sabine in Germany, and Richard in England, we now have Margaret in New Zealand. So, Margaret, uh, we will double what we paid you before, since you are now serving as our foreign correspondent, and we're all geeked out about it. Uh, please mark your calendars. Thursday, October 26th, I will be at St. Anthony of Padua Parish in Grand Rapids, Michigan, known for Calvinists. There's a lot of Calvinists out there, and a lot of them don't like us very much. You know why? They were predestined to not like us. If you're a Calvinist, you just found that joke hilarious. Um, and on a more serious note, I just got to, I don't know if she, I doubt if she listens to this, but Doc Carroll uh helped me with Marius last week when we sent him home to the Lord. And when I say help me, she did all the work. Um and what a just she's I love her. 
I love her for 8,000 reasons. But one of them is she did something she did not want to do that caused her a lot of pain, but she did it to help my dog. And I am so grateful to her and for her. Um, so speaking of lots of pain, we're on episode 10. 10, or as they say in Spanish, 10. Um of our episode on the war in the Pacific, and we are right up to the point of the U.S. dropping the bomb. Now, it's my theory that I can wrap up the war today. It might take me one more episode after that, and then we'll discuss the bomb itself and the morality of it all. I suspect I'll need two. I'm not sure, and I hope you people don't mind, and even if you do, I don't care. This is what I'm doing. I have the mic. I've made the notes. <laughs> Ah, so, uh, and again, you know, I don't know what to, I, I don't know if there's a trigger warning here or whatever. If you're a millennial, I'm sure you'll get offended or hurt by something. But, uh, you know, this is about that. That was mean. I didn't mean it mean. I meant it like funny. But anyway, last episode when I talked about the firebombing, I, I think that's about as far as I'm going to go with details, right, uh, on this. So with that, let's just get right into it, shall we? So uh, the, when last we left our intrepid heroes, uh, Okinawa was secured and American bombers were regularly bombing and firebombing Japanese cities and planning, they were moving forward with planning to invade Japan proper. Uh, starting in May of 1945, get this, 75% of the bombs that we dropped on Japan were incendiaries. Our goal was to burn their cities to the ground, which was easier than one would think. Uh, the military planners referred to Japan's cities as, quote, paper cities. They were, it was all wood. Um, and by mid-June, six of Japan's largest cities were just taken right off the map. They were bombed into oblivion. And at that point, now we're in mid-June of 1945, the Allies started targeting smaller cities where they had populations of like between 300,000 and 60,000. Now, what the U.S. was doing and had been doing for a bit was bombing them with leaflets uh, ahead of every attack. Mm -hmm. um, over 63 million leaflets were dropped on Japan in the last few months of the war, begging people to leave. Uh, the leaflets would warn them, we are bombing this city in two days. Get out of here. Um, and these saved more lives than they than than you would think and less people died in these bombings when they would think uh because people left the japanese believed the leaflets now curtis lemay you may remember him he was the guy who came up with the firebombing idea his goal was it's funny he had a couple goals in dropping these leaflets but neither of them were about rescuing civilians these were his goals, quote, to increase the psychological impact of bombing and, quote, to reduce the international stigma of area bombing cities. The fact that it saved hundreds of thousands of lives, yeah, whatever. 
He doesn't even put that in his reasoning. Uh, but it worked. And it worked so much that the Japanese government made it illegal to hold or read or distribute these leaflets. If you were a Japanese citizen caught reading one of these leaflets, you were arrested on the spot. Um, these leaflets saved a lot of lives. Again, think about this. 63 million leaflets that the U.S. And what, what did they say? Lots of things. Um... The interesting thing, if you ask me, is that, uh, where did we go? Japanese prisoners of war helped us write these pamphlets. Because uh, the American Japanese, or Japanese Americans, however you want to put it, would write them, of course, and translate them into Japanese script. But the POWs knew what lingo to use. Uh, does this make sense? And they were very cooperative. Japanese POWs were shocked at how they were treated. They were ready to be tortured to death. That's what their customs and culture called for. We gave you, what is it, three hots and a cot, right? Three meals a day and a bed. Um, and Japanese POWs tended to go back to Japan with very favorable views of Americans as a result. They just weren't expecting that, okay? Um, beyond the leaflets telling people specific details, we're going to bomb this city tomorrow or in two days. They tended to try to give people two days notice. They also dropped leaflets where they weren't bombing yet, but just kind of were urging everybody, get out of the cities. Um, and they also urged them, please don't participate in the suicide attacks that your government's planning. So hopefully you remember that uh, the Japanese government was creating suicide bombing devices for civilians in anticipation of the American military hitting like Honshu and, and the other main islands, that the people were expected to fight to the death and to use suicide weapons to attack the U.S. military. Now, there was no mention of the atomic bombs yet. Uh, that doesn't come till after we drop the first one. And what, if you want, you can look up. There was a lot of discussion. Should we have warned them about the atomic bomb? And in the end, the U.S. decided no for a few reasons. And I'm just going to highlight two uh, one is they were looking to maximize the psychological impact. Um, to be clear, as you may remember, when we talked through the firebombing of Tokyo, the damage was much worse than what the atomic bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki did. But it was one bomb, Right, it wasn't two hours. Right, the Tokyo firebombing lasted two hours and forty minutes. The bombing of Hiroshima lasted about a minute. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable to think of. And again, you and I are used to these gaudy numbers, such that the U.S. doesn't make atomic bombs this small anymore. But nobody had seen anything like this before, and the belief was maybe this will do it. In the same way that slapping a hysterical person might save them, might shake them from their hysteria, 
This was kind of the hope. Uh, slap them hard. And maybe that will get them to surrender. Uh, the second reason was frankly tactical. Uh, I don't know how else to say it. it was tactical. The tactical value of not knowing what we got. Yeah. And how, again, how secret was this? Truman didn't know. Think about that. That's how secret this was. So uh, it is believed that leaflets were dropped on Hiroshima as early as late July. Uh, Japanese survivors in Hiroshima talked about receiving uh, leaflets saying, we're going to drop the mother of all bombs on you. Get out. Um, and you might think, well, isn't this something the U.S. knows? Not really. This is a very chaotic time. It's not like now. But Japanese citizens testified, no, no, they warned us. In Hiroshima, they warned us. The U.S. military doesn't have a record of that, but they don't have a record of a lot of things from this period. So we've got this bomb, and the president knows it. And he knows the progress of the war that I've shared with you so far, namely, the Japanese will not surrender. Right When there's a 1,000 Japanese soldiers left on an island and 50,000 U.S. troops, no, they fight to the death. So they began planning the invasion of Japan. Uh, they named it uh, Operation Downfall. And the intent was to begin with an invasion of southern Kyushu and moving toward the Kanto Plain, uh, Kanto Plain near Tokyo. So punch a hole through the southern part of uh, Kyushu and then kind of park outside of Tokyo. Uh, now, the thing is this. Apparently, and I know nothing of strategery, this was common sense. That the geography and the way everything was set up was such that that was the only thing we could do. So the Japanese were geared up to defend it. Um, and the Japanese saw this was the only thing the Americans can do, so they set up an entire defense network to work against this. The casualty estimates for this first phase of taking Kyushu was two to four million U.S. casualties. That's more than the whole war combined in Europe and the Pacific so far. Uh, going by what happened in the island, the most conservative estimate I read was the U.S. planner said, we're going to lose two million young men. Now, again, the U.S. population at this point is 130 million. I want you to think about that. So if you say, what's half of uh, 65 million men? Now, what percentage of that 65 million uh, men in our country at the time was of fighting age and capability. Now you're down to about 5 million. We're going to lose half in one effort of the young fighting age men in our country. When President Truman saw the math, he just couldn't do it. 
um, there were records of generals weeping, American generals. How many more boys can we throw at this meat grinder? And that's when Truman ordered the dropping of the bomb. His primary hope was, this is such a horrific bomb that maybe this will... Well, again, it, he it's the image of slapping the hysterical person, right? Maybe this will do it. So on August 6th of 1945, a bomber named the Enola Gay, the guy who built the thing, named it after his mother-in-law, uh, accompanied by the bombers, uh, the great artists and necessary evil dropped the first bomb over Hiroshima. Uh, the results were unlike anything the world had seen. So three people flying that bomber knew what was going on. Uh, Tibbetts, the pilot, Parsons, the mission commander, and Faraby, uh, the bombardier. They were the ones who knew what they had. Everybody else on board was just told that there would be a blinding flash. They were given black goggles and told, put these on. There's going to be a big flash. Uh, Tibbetts recounted, quote, it was hard to believe what we were seeing. Uh, Parson said, quote, the whole thing was so tremendous and awe-inspiring. The men on the bomber with me just kept gasping, my God, my God, my God. Um, the bomb was set up to detonate over Tokyo, um, Hiroshima. And the idea was the bomb blast down, right? It's not the bomb hits the ground and blows out. It's the bomb blows in the air and smashes down. Okay. If you look, um, you can easily find pictures. Uh, just look for aerial photographs of Hiroshima before and after. And it's just, there's a city, and then there's not a city. Um, some buildings stood, right? Uh, the bomb was incredibly, oh, I'll ask Greg to tell me the right word. I forget what you call it. They only use like 2%. Uh, I don't know. How, it wasn't an efficient bomb at all. We don't make anything this efficient, inefficient anymore with our nukes. I'm not going to read what happened on the ground. It's re it's it's shocking. It's it's like the firebombing but quicker. Right? Again, this is why I say I understand why people say should we have dropped the atomic bomb? I don't understand why we don't ask should we have firebombed. Right? Uh, I I'm I'm serious. Like to me, the atomic bomb is much more defensible than the firebombing we did. Like, you, you again, look at aerial photographs of Tokyo before the firebombing and after. And when you look at after, there's nothing there. When you look, what you see, what used to be Hiroshima is a flat plain, but there's still buildings standing. There's still concrete. There's still, uh, you know, I don't know. Anyway, what do we know? Somewhere between 70,000 and 120,000 civilians were killed. Somewhere between 7,000 and 20,000 soldiers were killed. And exactly 12 U.S. prisoners of war were killed in this bombing of Hiroshima. Why are the numbers so divergent? Like 70,000 to 120,000. That's a big gap. 
And it's because nobody was keeping record. Everybody was fleeing the cities as fast as they could. And at the same time, some people were coming to the cities to get food. People were starving to death now. Uh, and what soldiers were alive and dead is really unclear to the Japanese people themselves. So we don't have hard numbers on this because we're not sure. 16 hours later, President Truman called for Japan to surrender. Okay, now I'm going to read a, I think this is the long one. No, this one's not too long. Um, this was his statement to the people of Japan. It was published on little leaflets. It was broadcast over their radio. Uh, so 16 hours after Hiroshima, quote, we are now prepared to obliterate more rapidly and completely every productive enterprise the Japanese have above ground in any city. We will destroy their docks, their factories, and their communication. Let me make no mistake. Let there be no mistake. We will completely destroy Japan's power to make war. It was to spare the Japanese people from utter destruction that the ultimatum on July 26th was issued at Potsdam. That I don't know if I got into that. The U.S. on you know July 26th said, okay, the Nazis are out. All eyes on you. Uh, the consequences of not surrendering are now horrific. Uh, so anyway, their leaders promptly rejected our ultimatum. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a rain of ruin from the air, the likes of which have never been seen on this earth. So after that broadcast, the uh, notation from the Japanese war journal, namely the emperor and his staff, this is uh, their response. Quote, we can no longer direct the war with any hope of success. The only course left is for Japan's 100 million people to sacrifice their lives by charging to the enemy to make them lose the will to fight. That's their response to Hiroshima. Right is, okay, we're all going to fight to the death now. Um, it's just unreal. And then the Japanese laid out, the Imperial High Command laid out their all-out defense of Kyushu, uh, and they named it Operation uh, Katsugo. Katsugo. Um, it was a different plan of defense than any they had used on any of the islands. Okay, so now the Japanese have committed. This is after the first bomb has dropped. Okay, we're now committed to all dying and making you kill all of us. And hopefully, you'll just lose the will and go home. Uh, how are they going to do it? When the U.S., their plan was that when the U.S. brings its transports and military boats toward Kyushu, over 3,000 kamikaze pilots were assigned to smash into those boats, sink the transports, sink the supply ships with suicide, uh, banzai, not banzai, um, uh, kamikaze attacks, divine wind, kamikaze, okay? If that didn't work... They had assigned 3,500 kamikazes and 5,000, the 5,000 remaining boats to be suicide boats and uh, to send them to the beach. So we've got 3,000 planes assigned to kamikaze into American transports and supply ships. 
And if that doesn't work, when we get on land, there's 35,000 boats loaded with explosives and 3,500 more planes ready to smash into the troop positions as they establish a beachhead. If somehow the Allies got through this and landed on Kyushu, they had 3,000 planes left. Um, And the final line is, nonetheless, we will defend to the last man. So all of this strategy that the Japanese had was based on a U.S.-led attack from the south. They did not count on any kind of trouble from the Soviets because the Soviets signed a non-aggression treaty with them at the beginning of the war. And the Soviet Union was, in Japan's mind, their last hope for brokering a peace agreement. They'd been approaching Stalin for a couple of months now, seeking to get him to act as the middleman between the U.S. and Japan and broker some kind of ceasefire. Uh, For his part, Stalin was stalling them. He was agreeing to everything the Japanese asked for, but not passing it on to the Americans. Instead, he was telling the Americans... They're not going to surrender. Uh, we have. They're going to fight to the last man. Um, this was a, obviously dirty play by Stalin's part, and we're going to get into his motivations in a minute because they're pretty clear. He was very clear about what he wanted. But make no mistake, nothing would have worked. The U.S. and Britain and the Soviet Union all agreed Japan could only they would only agree to unconditional surrender. Japan was like, no, we're not going to unconditionally surrender. We have to protect our emperor. But why would Stalin play this game? Uh, It's really simple. It's the reason uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. It's the reason the Soviet Union in Iran have always had a weird relationship. The Soviet Union lacked a warm water port. There's nowhere where the Soviets could launch ships or submarines from warm water. They could only do it from frozen ports. And he had some ideas. Namely, two days after the Hiroshima bomb, so on August 8th of 1945, the Soviet Union renounced its non-aggression pact with Japan and attacked They attacked right into Manchuria. How are people doing? Okay. Are people bored? No. Now, I want you to think back to 1937. You are talking about the Japanese army as arguably the most elite army in the world. They took and held that section of China with ease. They've been pushing into China for since 1937. At this point, the Japanese are punched out. They're just uh, knee-deep in China, and the Soviets pounded them. Uh, they pounded what had been, once been one of the finest armies on the planet. The only thing that stopped the Soviets was that they ran out of gas. 
So they punched into Manchuria. There was no uh, Japanese army there to speak of. They were all in the south parting, fighting the part they hadn't contained and were just pushing straight for the ocean. What The only thing that stopped them was they were so successful, they stretched their supply lines and had to wait for gas. Um, they invaded uh, Sadhalin Island with the intent of hitting Hokkaido within 10 days. So Hokkaido, if you don't know, that's the northernmost of the big islands of uh, Japan. Okay. <clears throat> so Japan has a problem. An atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, and the Allies seemed to indicate they had more of them. Uh, in the meantime, the enemy they never expected, the one they thought was their ally, the Soviets, were about to attack Hokkaido, and when they looked... They only had two divisions and two brigades up there, and they had set up their defense on the eastern side of Hokkaido, expecting an attack from the Americans, not the west, and get hit by the Soviets. So they knew they were going to lose Hokkaido. They knew they lost Hiroshima. They still wouldn't surrender. So on August 9th, a second B-29 bomber, uh, Boxcar, I think it is, B-O-C-K-S-C-A-R. I don't know how to pronounce that. Dropped a second bomb on Nagasaki. This was uh, three days after Hiroshima. Somewhere between 60 and 80,000 civilians were killed. 150 soldiers were killed. And about 13 Allied POWs. Why were the civilian casualties and the army casualties weighed down? Because we littered Nagasaki with leaflets. Um, Truman did not want to drop the second bomb. He was horrified by the devastation of the first one. And unlike the firebombing, he knew what was going on exactly. Um, so people fled. That's what spared a lot of the civilians here. So now, uh, and I hope you don't mind, there's going to be two things I read here that are very long, right? But And I'll, maybe I'll skip if I can, but Truman then issued this statement to the Japanese people, again, through leaflets, through radio broadcasts. Quote, the British, Chinese, and U.S. governments have given the Japanese people adequate warning of what's in store for them. We have laid down the general principles on which they must surrender. Our warning went unheeded. Our terms were rejected. Since then, the Japanese people have seen what our atomic bomb can do. They can foresee what it will do in the future. The world will note that the first atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, a military base. This is because we wished in this first attack to avoid as much as possible the killing of civilians. But that attack is only a warning of things to come. If Japan does not surrender, bombs will have to be dropped on her war industries and unfortunately, thousands of civilian lives will be lost. I urge all Japanese civilians to evacuate industrial cities immediately and save themselves from destruction. I realize the tragic significance of the atomic bomb. Its production and use were not lightly undertaken by this government. 
but we knew that our enemies were on the search for it. And we now know how close they were to find it. He's talking about the Nazis here. And we knew the disaster which would come to this nation and all peace-loving nations and to all civilization if the Nazis found it first. This is why we felt compelled to undertake the long and uncertain and costly labor of discovery and production. We won the race of discovery against the Germans. Having found the bomb, we've used it. We have used it against those who attacked us without warning at Pearl Harbor, against those who have starved and beaten and executed American prisoners of war, against those who have abandoned all pretense of obeying international laws of warfare. We have used it to shorten the agony of war in order to save the lives of thousands and thousands of young Americans. We have used it. We shall continue to use it until we completely destroy Japan's power to make war. Only Japanese surrender will stop us. So Truman is a bit different than any president we'd had at that point in a long time. He tells you what he's thinking. He tells you what he's feeling. Um, And it had a powerful effect. Um, Again, if you look at what were Americans thinking during this time... They were just wondering when we would drop the next one. They were tired of Americans coming home in bags. They were tired of losing their sons. The population bubble from the losses in this war are pretty staggering to think about. Um, And Americans were well aware of that. There was a vengeance factor here. Uh, And again, this is a very different time. It's not like now. Um, They started it, we'll finish it, was kind of the, 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 not literally the battle cry, but that was the thinking. You attacked us during a time of peace. Uh, Yeah, we're going to bring the kitchen sink. Um, As a response to this address, the emperor convened his council and deliberations for surrender began in earnest. Okay. The notes from the meeting record the emperor's thinking. Okay, so now we have the emperor's words. Now you need to remember, if you're not on his council, no one's ever heard his voice. Right? The emperor's voice was not to be heard. Uh, so only those in his tiny little council heard it. And they recorded what he said. And this is what he said. Quote, this is the Japanese emperor Hirohito. I have given serious thought to the situation prevailing at home and abroad. I have concluded that continuing the war can only mean destruction for the nation and the prolongation of bloodshed and cruelty. I cannot bear to see my innocent people suffer any longer. I was told by those advocating a continuation of hostilities that by June, new divisions would be in place and fortified positions ready for the invader. It is now August, and those fortifications still have not been completed. There are those who say the key to national survival lies in the decisive battle in the homeland. The experience of the past, however, shows that there has always been a discrepancy between plan and performance. I do not believe the discrepancy in the case of Kujukiru can be rectified. Since this is also the shape of things, how can we repair, repel the invader? It goes without saying that this is unbearable for me to see the brave and loyal fighting men of Japan disarmed. 
it is equally unbearable that others who have rendered me devoted service should now be punished as instigators of the war. Nevertheless, the time has come to bear the unbearable. I swallow my tears and give my sanction to a proposal to accept the Allied proclamation on the basis outlined by Tojo, the foreign minister. What he's saying here at the end is, okay, we'll accept it as long as I'm still emperor. And that is not something the Americans were willing to negotiate. Okay. Interestingly enough, this is where we start to see for the first time gaps in the coverage. Namely, the president of the emperor's council said to him, quote, Your majesty, you bear responsibility for this defeat. What apology are you going to make to the heroic spirits of the imperial founder of your house? They're ticked at him for wanting to surrender. The emperor concluded the meeting and word was sent to the allies. Japan will accept the conditions of surrender provided that the emperor still ruled Japan. And the response from the allies was pretty simple. Um, no. Unconditional surrender. No ifs. Nothing else. So the second bomb is dropped. The Soviet Union is punching holes in Japan. We are closing in. And the emperor is still not willing. And neither is the council. He has no one on his council saying, we got to surrender, even if it means you can't be your emperor. It's fascinating. And in fact, as you caught, hopefully, they're ticked at him for talking surrender. Truman believed that when they sent that message, we're at the end. Okay? Uh, he believed, okay, now we just got to convince them. No, you just surrender. So he ordered no more atomic bombs to be dropped on Japan. But here's the interesting thing, and it's a really weird thing. He intended the bombing of Japan to continue, but not the atomic bombing, but his orders were misunderstood. And so Japan had a day without bombing. And Truman wasn't then willing to start it again. Okay, so he used the miscommunication and said, all right, let's see if this works. And the emperor did not consider it negotiable. He uh, stated very clearly, we'll fight to the last man before the Japanese people will give up me as their emperor. So now we're to August 13th. The Americans covered Japan with leaflets, um, telling the people what they offered and what the government responded. And this is when it finally seems to become clear to the Japanese leadership that no surrender was possible except unconditional surrender. Back home, Truman told his cabinet, he just couldn't drop another bomb. Quote, I can't kill all those kids. End quote. Uh, but at this point, they were looking at the fact that we had dropped the first bomb almost a week ago. And Japan is saying, no, we're not going to surrender. And so he ordered the bombing of Tokyo, uh, the atomic bomb on Tokyo, as soon as it was ready, which was August 17th. So on August 17th, 
we were going to drop a third atomic bomb on Tokyo. Um, Truman ordered the continual firebombing of Japan at this point. It just anything to keep us from having to drop a third bomb. On August 14th, the U.S. unleashed the largest bombing campaign in the history of war. We don't have Germany distracting us anymore. 400 B-29 bombers during the day and 300 during the night carpet bombed all over Japanese military uh, targets. And these bombers never stopped until the end of the war. Um, And again, the devastation from this was higher than the atomic bombs. Um. The Japanese cabinet was constantly meeting and arguing passionately. You now had three men advocating to end the war and four men advocating to continue it. Um, The emperor finally spoke and stated that it was his will that Japan accept unconditional surrender. He ordered all evidence of war crimes destroyed and word sent to the allies that we were ready to surrender and in the meantime he did something very historic he recorded his voice they they put his voice on record to play for the people of japan over the radio now at this point the japanese military attempted a coup they did not want to surrender um it was a pretty smart move I mean, uh, strategically. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. The core thing is they were fairly certain the highest-ranking dudes would join them, and that's where their plans fell apart. And it's kind of weird. They got unlucky to some extent. Three of their targets weren't where they always were and where they were supposed to be. Um, And they did get as far as the emperor's throne room. Uh, but they were stopped, and all the leaders of the coup killed themselves, um, and the others surrendered to the Japanese, not not to the Americans. But it's one of those things a lot of people don't, I, think, I don't know how many people knew that, that they attempted a legit coup to uh, take control of the military and refuse to surrender. Um, on August 15th, 1945, the emperor's recording was played for the people of Japan. Uh, and again, I'm going to, I hope you don't mind, I'm going to read, I, th- I think I'm going to read the whole thing. Okay. So for the first time in their life, people heard the voice of the emperor. And it was a recording on a record. They didn't have tapes or eight tracks or any of this After pondering deeply the general trends of the world and the actual conditions obtaining in the empire today, we have decided to effect a settlement of the present situation by resorting to an extraordinary measure. We have ordered our government, when he says we, he means him. He is the royal we. I'm sure you've heard that phrase. We have ordered our government to communicate to the governments of the United States, Great Britain, China, and the Soviet Union that our empire accept the provisions of their joint declaration. 
to strive for the common prosperity and happiness of all nations, as well as the security and well-being of our subjects, is the solemn obligation, which has been handed down by our imperial ancestors and which lies close to our heart. Indeed, we declared war on America and Britain out of our sincere desire to ensure Japanese self-preservation and the stabilization of East Asia, it being far from our thought either to infringe upon the sovereignty of other nations or to embark on territorial aggrandizement. But now the war has lasted for nearly four years. Despite the best that has been done by everyone, the gallant fighting of the military and naval forces, the diligence and assiduity of our servants of the state, and the devoted service of our 100 million people, the war situation has developed not necessarily to Japan's advantage, while the general trends of the world have turned against her interest. Moreover, the enemy has begun to employ a new and most cruel bomb, the power of which to do damage is indeed incalculable, taking the toll of many innocent lives. Should we continue to fight, not only would it result in an ultimate collapse and obliteration of the Japanese nation, but the total extinction of human civilization. Such being the case, how are we to save the millions of our subjects or atone ourselves before the hallowed spirit of our imperial ancestors? The hardships and sufferings to which our nation is to be subjected hereafter will be certainly great. We are keenly aware of the inmost feelings of all of you, our subjects. However, it is according to the dictates of time and fate that we have resolved to pave the way for a grand peace for all generations to come, by enduring the unendurable and suffering what is unsufferable. So he's staying to the party line, and you notice the word surrender was never used. Uh, the party line is, gosh, all we wanted to do was secure the, the peace of all Asians, uh, but uh, fate played against us. And so now he's preparing them for the horror of American occupation. And you might be thinking, we were great to them. Well, yeah, dad will tell you that. He was there for the occupation. The Japanese loved the Americans and the Americans loved them. There was no nation that has ever been so well treated after starting a war than the Japanese were. But they didn't know that. Right. When I think I shared this with you, when the Americans first started arriving in Japan after the surrender, at first they were offended because every Japanese soldier turned and showed their back to them. And the Americans took it as an offense. And then they found out, no, uh, the Japanese explained, we're not worthy to look at you. You beat us. And they were waiting to be tortured to death like they tortured their POWs to death. The fact that we invested everything into rebuilding Japan shocked them and made them arguably the greatest allies we've ever had. But they didn't know that yet. Um, now, the recording didn't do what they hoped. And there were a couple problems. One, the quality of the recording was abysmal. Uh, but second... He was speaking in a really ancient form of Japanese that a lot of people couldn't really understand too well. And it was so ineffective 
that they had kind of a translator come on and release a short message saying, uh, we surrendered. Yeah, we surrendered. That's what that all meant. All that stuff you heard, Matt, we're done. The immediate response was mass confusion. Uh, there were a ton. There was, quote, mass suicides among the Japanese military. Um, and why were they killing themselves? We failed the emperor, right? We failed the emperor, and that's what samurai do. When you fail in your mission, you kill yourself. And a lot of them did. Massive crowds of people converged outside the emperor's palace and just screamed and cried. Um, and I've read a lot of different things, but most seem to agree it was just horror. We failed the emperor, right? We, we, we didn't get him what he asked for. Um, the war continued with Russia for another month. Russia wasn't going to quit. They wanted that warm water port. And all that really stopped them was the fact that we had an atomic bomb and we let them know, I think you want to go home. Right? So that's what stopped the Soviet Union from finishing Japan was our threat of a nuclear bomb against them. Um, and the battle in the Philippines lasted for a long time. And as you may remember, the last Japanese soldier in the Pacific, surrendered in 19, I think it was 86. Um, but for all intents and purposes, the war was over. And I did it in one show. So what we'll do next week is our wrap-up. I'll give us the final tallies. Uh, and if you want, I can try to cover, cover a little bit of MacArthur rebuilding Japan, right? To the point where, like Dad always said this, when he was over there, the Japanese people revered him as a god. Um, I mean, that's right, Dad, I'm saying that right. And uh, the first real mixing of Americans and Japanese in peacetime happened. That hadn't happened before. And it was a real good match. Um, it is just a fascinating thing how quickly Japan turned it around. You may remember, go all the way back to the beginning, my first show on this, about how everyone remarked on Japan's adaptability. Remember this? That when Western influence started invading Japan, they resisted by reinventing their culture. Now, they didn't know that. They were told, no, this was your culture. But... Japan's ability to turn on a dime and thrive blew the world away again. Um, we'll, we can get into that if you want. I don't know. Uh, we can get into, uh, but then I would like to talk about what I imagine is clear to you by now. My belief that the dropping of the bombs was as moral an act as anything else that happened in the war. That uh, too often, we ask the question, should we have dropped the bomb outside of its historical context? Um, you have to calculate madness. You do. You have to calculate madness. Uh, and I know I say it every show, but I just can't believe how well Dan Carlin nailed it.
the Japanese are like everyone else, only more so. And that's a big part of the answer, for me at least. So tomorrow, we'll be blessed to uh, sit with Greg Rasmussen, who, well, I guess he wasn't there, he was too young, but his mom and dad were there. No, he was old enough. Well, anyway, we'll figure it out. Uh, he was there when the atomic bomb was built. His mom and dad were a part of it. They worked with Oppenheimer and Fermi and all those other guys. And uh, I'm very excited to hear about that. Um, and then that's tomorrow. And then Friday, we'll do our usual question and answer. And then next Wednesday, we will go after, uh, again, a brief discussion on maybe the rebuilding of Japan, if you wish. Let me know. Uh, and uh, my argument for the limited morality of our use of, an ato of two atomic bombs. Okay. So, boy, we went after it, didn't we? I'm quite proud of us. I am. Uh, you as an audience for sticking with it through 10 episodes. Although, did you know episode, the last one we did, do you know what number podcast that was? 666. We should have done one on the devil. What were we thinking? When Izzo hit win 665, I called him. And I'm like, Bro, you have two choices. It's either to win back-to-back, -back, right, back-to-back -back games, or just not play another game. Retire. Yeah, that's it. But he got past 666 without selling a soul to the devil, as far as I can tell. <laughs> Get away from me. So uh, that, I can't believe it. I was worried this would be two shows. Yeah. Uh, a couple of oh, yeah, rocket. I think they can wait till next Yeah, let's see what we got. Oh, I should look. Okay, sorry. That means putting on my glasses. Sorry, I can't. Uh, I got to figure this out because I know when I put on my glasses on the camera, do so, you think uh, Americans... Tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit about the movie too, right? How do you think Americans would react if the position were reversed? Oh, no, we've proven we'll surrender. Right? Think about it. Every war we've been in. Uh, sometimes we've surrendered and sometimes we haven't. Uh, but if you look at how many POWs the Nazis had and the American and the Japanese had, oh, we surrender. Like we just, when, if it's hopeless in a battle, you stop, right? You stop to try to save lives. No, I, I, I don't think we would have fought to, and I mean, again, gosh, I, I hope this isn't, well, I'm going to look at you while I say it here. Remember, we had our own kind of Pearl Harbor in 2001. And within a week, we were tearing each other apart. Within a week, Democrats were saying it was Republicans' fault, and Republicans were saying it's Democrats' fault. I mean, gosh, you had a Harvard professor, remember this, who gave a whole lecture that blew up YouTube. This is our fault. We caused this. We don't have the intestinal fortitude. Uh, uh, yeah, we would definitely surrender. I mean, the first time somebody got a hangnail. Uh, um uh but it, yeah yeah i think we would so, um did the emperor of japan stay in power what happened to him uh okay let's hit that next time does if that interests you what did hirohito do and if you want a book about hirohito um there's a book called hirohito's war and i can't remember who wrote it forgive me i haven't read it in a while he's an interesting dude 
Um, yeah, don't get into it because then I won't stop. Uh, but let's hit that next week. Uh, thanks for that question. And thanks for your interest. So what I'm looking for from you guys, if I may, uh, is what topic you want me to cover next. Uh, particularly, you know, we're going to look at Catholic stuff. I've been asked a lot about the Israeli-Palestinian situation. I'm not going to get into it. Um, uh, Dr. Aaron, I talked to him yesterday. Did I tell you he called back? He said he's more than willing to come on and answer people's questions and help, uh, which I think might be very helpful. Uh, My bias is an issue here. I have a bias. um, And um, the last thing you and I need is more bias. Huh? Um, I think we can all recognize the situation as a train wreck. Um, and I have, there is no rationalization of slaughtering civilians in a time of peace. What Hamas did needs to be punished severely. Um, yeah, but, you know, you get into history with me. And I did, right, we did a whole thing on this, and you, and you heard me. I'm I'm all about the, you know, Israel, the only dem- democracy in the Middle East. Uh, we should probably help. Uh, but, you know, Americans throw around words like, what are they, uh, apartheid, which is ludicrous. There are Palestinians in the Israeli Knesset. If they're doing apartheid, they're doing it awful. Uh, how do you balance being literally surrounded by people whose stated goal is to kill you all. How do you deal with that? Um, and if you're a Palestinian, what do you do? The entire Arab world uses you as a cause but won't help you. I mean, think about it. Egypt's pretty wide open. Egypt's got a lot of living space. They won't take in the pal. They wouldn't take in the Palestinians. The Jordanians wouldn't. The Syrians wouldn't. Everybody was asked to help. No, but they'll help kill Jews, right? And and it just amazes me. Um, you know, when you look at the billion dollars, Yasser Arafat died a multi-billionaire, and his people were dying of hunger. It's a wreck. It's a wreck. And I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think it's for all the Jews to die. Which seems to be the only answer anyone's willing to talk about right now. And I don't think, you know, anyway. See what I mean? This is why I shouldn't talk about this. Does anyone like my new shirt? Did everyone see my new shirt today? I love it. I do too. I'd flax, but I'm very afraid of cheering the sleeves. (laughs) Let's just get that out there. Um... I think in the end, if we can get Dr. Aaron in here, it will really help. Uh, he is a brilliant man. Uh, he's a specialist in Israeli foreign policy and um, and that whole disaster over there. Um, and I, he told me he's willing to help. We do have trouble, right? Because the only way we can figure out to get him on here, because he's in Prague, is he calls me and we put the mic near the phone and we just don't know of any tack that we can afford uh that'll work for him to like share a screen with me and you uh so 
Um, sorry, I'm babbling now because I'm sitting here thinking of all the things I probably shouldn't have said and just said about the whole mess. So, uh, <laughs> and Dad is laughing at me. Tonight? Yeah. You are a guest speaker? Oh, yeah, I'm going Any, somewhere. Anything is possible uh, speaker series? Is that what it's called? Anything is possible? Okay. Oh, this is the Plymouth series. one. Yep. Okay. In, at St. John's in Plymouth, Rosary at 630. The, your talk on the vulnerability of God begins at 7. Mm -hmm. Are and we broadcast? I've asked a couple of times, and there's no pre-registration. You mean people can just show up? I believe they can. Oh, okay, folks. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We think you could just show up. Yeah. Uh, so it's... 6.30 Rosary, and then I'm on at 7 at the Inn at St. John's, the one that used to be in Plymouth, <coughs> the one that used to be uh, St. John's Seminary. Boy, I should do a history of that. That'll melt your face. Um, but please, folks, send us ideas of topics, not like questions, but like I want you to do a show about in terms of our Catholic faith uh, or daily Christian living or if you want another history topic, I'll start gearing up for one of those. Um, but that'd take a while of research, right? Because if it's not Japan or uh, the Romans, I have to put notes together, right? The Japan stuff's in my head. The Ro anyway, so <clears throat> please submit those ideas because uh, I'm always afraid of like making material that's not helpful. I want to help. I want us to help us do better, uh, both as Catholics in the world and as just a f informed humans. Huh? Um, and by the way, here's something. Here's, let's end the show with something that might shock you. It, it might. I don't know. Most people don't believe me, but you can look it up. Okay. So when the United Nations, on the, I think it was 40th anniversary of the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima, issued a joint declaration against nuclear proliferation. One country voted no. Do you want to guess? Japan. Japan saw this was the only thing, A, the Americans could have done, and this is the only thing keeping Russia from come calling again. And they were very clear about that. Uh, in my moderately limited experience... In the 1980s and 90s, there was no Japanese people who were angry at the U.S. for dropping the bomb. They were angry at the military for not surrendering. Fascinating stuff. Japanese feelings on this issue are immensely complicated. And if you, um, you know, maybe end it with a touching story. Yes. Uh, for those of you not familiar with the Children's Peace Monument in... Um, it's either Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Uh, a young girl who was poisoned by the radiation from the bomb. Uh, the Japanese uh, had a story about a little girl who made a thousand paper cranes. And the gods healed her. So this little angel started making a thousand paper cranes. This is a true story. Japanese kids and American kids found out about it and began mailing her paper cranes to try to get her now she didn't get to a thousand before she died but the hospital was overwhelmed with these tiny little paper cranes that american and japanese kids mailed from all over and so at the site 
below where the because again the bombs blow up in the air and bang down right at the epicenter of where the bomb there's a monument of a golden crane and uh it's called the children's peace monument and on it in english and in japanese is the line this is our cry this is our prayer peace in our lifetime uh beautiful stuff Hiroshima. Okay. Uh, Do you know 30 people survived the bombing at Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Did you know that? There's a little trivia for you. 30 people fled Hiroshima after they survived the atomic bomb and went to the next biggest city, Nagasaki, and were there when that bomb blew up. I mean, and lived. The same 30. Yeah, and lived. Well, Nagasaki, the bomb didn't do as well. And, 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 and what's interesting is it was more efficient than Big Boy. So Big Boy was the first bomb. Wait, I might get this mixed up. The second bomb, the trouble they had was Nagasaki was hilly. So the blast wave was less effective. Yeah. Um, a lot more people survived Nagasaki than anybody thought would have. Um, just because of the geography, and again, the bomb wasn't as efficient. The first, one of them was called Little Boy, and I forget what the second bomb was called. Fat Man and Little Boy. Fat Man and Little Boy. I think that was it. Yeah. And again, guys, we don't make any bombs that small anymore, which is crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, Salad Prey, and then tomorrow we'll have a lovely guest in our speaking, in our visitor's lounge. I'm a little excited about that. Uh, And then again, Friday question and answer. Wednesday, we'll talk about Hirohito. We'll talk about some of the rebuilding, and I'll give you my opinion, and that's all it is, on whether we should have dropped the atomic bomb on Japan twice. Say I would pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, a lot of people have died because of pride, Lord. Sinful pride. And we do great damage to ourselves when we simply surround ourselves with people who tell us everything we do is right and good. And in the end, Lord, over and over we learn not to put our trust in princes or kings or emperors or presidents but to put our trust in you. Because you have no self-interest, Lord, except to get us to heaven. And so, heal our hearts. Help us to engage the internal battle to be holy. Help us to forgive our enemies. And like you told us to pray for our persecutors, whoever they may be. And Father, all the blood on the ground in Israel and in West Bank and Gaza is calling out to you. Please, Lord, give us a miracle. Give us peace. Protect the innocents, Lord. And drive the wicked from positions of power. Oh, Father, help us to be brave when we vote. 
help us to do what's right and to not justify evil even when we agree with the with the people who are doing evil help us to just call sin sin and to stand up and say enough we're sorry for using humans as political pawns and we're sorry for using the horror people are enduring to prove our point make us as you are lord please father you know the people that we love and we carry in our heart and worry about and you know all the circumstances in our lives that cause us to fret and we give all of it to you lord because we love you and we trust you may almighty god bless you all the father the son and the holy spirit my kung fu is strong i'll see you beautiful people tomorrow and until then frozen peas are my gift to you not as the world gives peas do i give peas peas out